as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is part 229 in our study. We are in the second chapter of 1 John. My grandson is very happy about that news. And uh, so we've got a few more chapters in 1 John. We've got 2 John, 3 John, one chapter each. And then it's the book of Revelation. So you can count it down. September, I think, will be will be into Revelation. I know a lot of people seem to look forward to the study of Revelation. I, I like Revelation. Great book. Interesting study. And uh, we'll, we'll tackle it together. It is a very, very fascinating study. And we'll, we'll give you some ideas about different uh, ways to look at Revelation, I think. And there's a lot of different opinions out there. And we'll, we'll talk through a couple of them. And uh, we'll go from there. So that's good. That's what's coming. But we're in the second chapter of 1 John today. I introduced uh, 1 John last week. I said, you know, it's neat for me to see John at this stage in his life um, because he was really kind of passionate when he was younger. Not that he's not now. It just changed. He was more zealous back then. And we talked about how, you know, when the Samaritans didn't receive them, he wanted to call down thunder on them. And Jesus had to go, no, that's not what we do. And uh, then somebody else was casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and John wanted them to stop because they weren't one of the 12. And Jesus said, no, no, it's okay. You know, thing that's got to happen. And then, you know, we, we talked about him um, tr- him and his brother James trying to get the best spots with Jesus in the kingdom sort of set up. And uh, there was this constant ongoing thing, and he actually brought his mom in to help with that process, and that upset everybody. And so we just see sort of John, and I think we can relate to John in his passion, in his zeal, uh, in his youth. In his, uh, in his newness of it all, um, he was like, you know, he was in one direction and he was missing some of the bigger points of love and grace and mercy and some of those things. But by the end of his, um, towards the end of his walk, let's put it that way, whatever that looks like, he softened greatly. Um, in these letters, he talks constantly about the love of God and loving one another. It's the theme of First, Second, and Third John. Uh, and, and so we can see a dramatic change has happened. This, this, these books were written, uh, these letters, sometime between 85 and 95 A.D. So, so some time has passed um, in this process, 50, 60 years from the time of Jesus actually being there. John's still alive. He had a long life. Um, he's recording some of the stuff that's taking place. He's writing letters to the church. The church is being persecuted. Um, the church is also dealing with a lot of false teachings that have sprung up over the 50 or 60 year time period. And John will write about that as well. Uh, he starts the second chapter saying that, you know, I'm writing you this letter um, to help you avoid sin. That was the point of the letter. And, and getting to this heart about, you know, that our, our heart's desire is to live for Jesus, but sometimes we fall short and when we do, we have Jesus as our advocate, as one who speaks in our defense to the Father. You'll see those scriptures. And we'll also see again that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. His blood was enough to pay for our sins and for all sins for all time. Because of that, we don't need to hide our sin, but confess them and then continue to walk on in Him. We never see His amazing grace as a way to continue to sin, but we see His amazing grace more as a reason for our desire to live wholeheartedly for Him, His way. And, and that's what you need to take into account. Because he's, he's talking about uh, sin. And, we, you know, in 1 John 1, 9, it's what you want to make. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Uh, and, and uh, you know, purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Sometimes the argument that comes from these verses is, well, if that's the case, then we should just sin even more um, because all this is available to us. And the, the, the other side of all that is that when you really get this amazing deal we've stumbled into in Jesus, the best deal in the universe, when you get what it means to be really forgiven, when you get the lengths that God has gone to to reconcile us to himself that we can have relationship in him, when all that becomes... Um, overwhelmingly apparent to you your heart's desire is no longer to go and do the things that you once did there's a change in you that desires to live for him uh, the desire isn't isn't that we're not trying to it's not that we're trying to perform for him we're not trying to earn anything it's just this overwhelming realization of the lengths that God has gone to for us to be in relationship with him and when that settles in it changes the way that we begin to look at life and, and John is really talking about that process and the importance of that process and what that looks like and and he's beginning he'll point out some difference he starts in this chapter talking about antichrist which is what he called false teachers and and how we can see from them that they they want to take and use everything selfishly that God has done that their motives are selfish that it's always all about them and what they get out of it and he said that's how you sort of know that's the discerning point and that's how we begin to know when we've made these changes from darkness to light. We begin to realize that it's, we're not living all about us any longer. It, it's begun to change, and we, we start to get that it's all about Him, and uh, that life is found in Him, and it, it, it begins to change us from the inside out. I, I, you know, and it's not, a, a, it's not an immediate thing, that, that change. It's a process. Sanctification is a process. And all of us are in process. None of us is completely... Um, stepped into that spot where we're completely selfless. Um, we'll, we'll always have issues of our human nature and our sin. Nature, you know, dragging us down in a very real attack of the evil one. But there's a change that takes place in the heart where, where our heart desire isn't to pursue those things any longer. It's to pursue Him with everything that we are, all in, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then understand that when we do fall short, even though it's not our desire, we have an advocate with the Father. We go running to God, and in Jesus, we're forgiven, and we're set free, and we're made whole and new again, and we get a brand new start. We don't need to, to languish in guilt or shame, um, but, but we're, we're made new. We get a brand new start. That doesn't make us keep wanting to go and do what we shouldn't. It, it does something to us that, that draws us closer to Him, that begins to change us and, and keep us from moving in those directions that's the process that, that we're talking about and, and that's the process that John is, is bringing up again in these chapters. So chapter 2 is a rather lengthy, 29 verses. I'm going to read it to you. I'll read out of the NIV. Uh, you can follow along on the notes or in your own translation, your own Bibles, whatever you got is good. And um, let's begin. First John chapter 2 verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. 
This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a, a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For, they have the, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear, and now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So a lot of stuff going on there in First uh, John. So let's uh, let's make a few points. First six verses, John's talking about the importance of knowing Jesus. Now, knowing Jesus, it's not just um, uh, knowing about Him. It's uh, the the word there has the idea about being in relationship with Him. The, the Greek word is gnosko or gnosko, which means this, grasping the full reality and nature of an object under consideration. It is thus distinguished from mere opinion, which may grasp the object half correctly, inadequately, or even falsely. So it's not, uh, this, this gnosko isn't about knowing about Jesus, it's about knowing Jesus, being involved in him and with him, finding life in him, experiencing life with him. Um, that's the idea that John is, is trying to give us in these first few verses. 
And that being in relationship with Jesus will bring changes in us. It will ultimately cause us to live by trying to do the next right thing. When we're in relationship with Him, those changes will take place. Like I said, they don't all happen like that, but they will be happening. You will see change take place in you when you're in relationship with Him. The Spirit of God dwelling in you because of that relationship as you yield to Him will help you to yield and change. It's like a, it's a picture of the life of John himself and all that he changed in Christ over, over that period of time. He loved Jesus from the very beginning, but there was this working of the Spirit in him that softened him over time, softened his heart, so, so that throughout his life then he began to walk more like Jesus did. And, and that's the idea, that in knowing Him and being in relationship with Him, what will happen is that we'll begin to walk more like Jesus did. Less about us, more about Him. And we talk about this all the time, walking like He did. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's living by trying to do the next right thing. It's then beginning to see like He sees. You know, remember when John saw the Samaritans reject him, he wanted to rain thunder down on them, and he wasn't seeing them like Jesus. And we see the way that Jesus saw the Samaritans in his, in his contact with the woman at the well. These are just people who needed to come into relationship um, with him so that they could experience the, the love and the life of God forever. So um, we, we begin to see things differently. We begin to see things less from our own extremely narrow perspective, which is what we're looking with. And then hopefully, as we said, we begin to get more of a throne room perspective. As we spend time with Him and we build this relationship with Him, it causes us to look at things differently, to see them the way that, that He would see them. Um, it begins to change us to, to love like He loves, with this amazing love that, that is demonstrated throughout the Gospels in the life of Jesus, how well He loved people. And how, because of that love, people were attracted to Him um, from every walk of life. I love when you read about him at parties, because he was at parties a lot. We've talked about that. Um, all these gatherings. And we read about how, you know, the religious people were upset with him because he was at these gatherings with all these sinners and tax collectors. But the sinners and tax collectors there, but so were the religious people. Don't, don't make light of that. Everybody was at the party. They all came because of Jesus, because they, there was something about Jesus. That even, you know, the religious people who didn't even like him and ultimately were plotting to kill him, but when he, they wanted to be, there was something, see, there was something about the way that he loved that attracted everybody to him. Still does. Uh, it's just Jesus. But see, it should begin to change us so that there's something in us that, that um, people see, and it's this loving well, this, this loving extravagantly, this, this taking off of the critical judgment and the, the, the way that we look at things from such, again, such a narrow perspective, begin to see like he did, begin to, to love, you know, like he does, uh, a softening of our hearts, so less about us and more about him love. It allows us to begin to serve like he served. You know, that was, the, when you read about Jesus, so amazing, here's the king of glory, the, the one who spoke it all into existence. He comes and lives among us, and he says, you know, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come that first time riding into town on a great white horse. He came on a donkey. He came, he broke up all the stereotypes with his guys constantly saying, you, you get it all backwards when they're arguing, John, who's going to be the greatest? And he looks at them and he says, you know, it's not about that. It's about being a servant. The greatest in the kingdom will be a servant of all. And, and it begins to cause in us this desire to, to make it less about us and more about him and others 
and, and looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to extend this amazing life that we have in Him to others. What can we do to serve? And instead of it being all about us, these things begin to change in us over time to, to help us think the way that He does, to think like He thinks. And, to, you know, I, I love reading about how Jesus in situations would do things that, you know, you just think, well, how did He even come to that, you know, that point where they would try and trap him and hold him and he would just switch it all around and, and always giving him people opportunities to change and to repent and to, and to move towards him. I, I just love that process. I, you, know, you know, one of my favorite stories is when he's at the guy who's been at the pool for so long, um, you know, the, the healing pool there in Bethesda, you know, 38 years an invalid, and he's been hanging out there forever, and that was the way his life, and that, how Jesus thinks, you know, because he's talking to him and finding out about him, and that, the question that he asked, my favorite question, do you want to get well? What a great question. Don't you just love to think about things like that? You've been here a long time. Really? Do you, do you really want to get well? How, how amazing is, is Jesus? Loving this guy the whole time, picking him out, you know, dealing with him, talking to him. He's gone invisible to everybody else. Do you, and then, you really want to get well? Making the guy stop and think. Do I? Yeah, I guess I do. Well, good. Get up. Do something different. Change. It's fascinating. See, that, that's what's happening in us now, and the, the spirit in us is causing us to change, and it's and in John 6, you know, that phrase, he says this, this life then is, is then about walking like Jesus did. It's those things. It's, you know, seeing like he saw, thinking like he thinks, serving like he served, loving like he loved. It, it, it changes us so that, that we begin to change. We're moving from darkness into light. That's how that process works. Then in uh, verses 7 to 11, what we want to be careful of is in this process then, we do not reduce our walk in Christ to following a set of rules and regulations or we become legalistic and that's the that's a great potential that's what happens that's where people go in this process because it, holding on to this grace and mercy thing is amazing and, and uh, uh, you know living by the do the next right thing means I gotta stay connected with God I gotta build that relationship that's what we need to do and, and that sometimes it's easier well you know that's a, that's a, that's a big deal relationship you under, relationships take time right everybody gets that good relationships take effort so there's, there's, it's not, we're not, you know, working for anything. It's just part of the deal. It takes time. It has to be developed. And some people go, well, I can't, I don't really have that. Just give me the rules. Just give me the rules, and then th that'll be fine. I'll just do the rules, because that's going to save me some time. And, and, and yet, once you get the rules, and once you go rules, you go hard-hearted. You can't keep your heart soft following the rules. Because then, once you start, you think you're following the rules, and then if somebody else isn't, you get mad at them. And so you got no love for them, and then you start having to, because you can't follow rules, you break the rules, then you start trying to justify why you broke the rules, and then you want to rewrite the rules anyway, and then how many rules are there? You know, they were trying to get some rules together when Jesus came back, and they'd gone from 10 to 700, and it wasn't enough rules. How many rules is it going to take? They're still writing rules. <laughs> They're writing, how many rules are there now? I have no idea. You couldn't tell how many rules there are now. And it, it doesn't work. See, um, because it's not the answer. What we need to do, walk like Jesus did, it really comes down to loving well again. Let's, let's do the next right thing. Let's, let's, that's what the deal is. What's the next right thing? I just want to do that. And then sometimes we won't, and that's how we know we can run back to God. We have an advocate in the Father with Jesus right there, and we don't need to let this stuff get dark and, and you know, go guilt and shame. Oops, back to God. Don't want to do that. Right direction. That's the whole process. So, very careful not to move back into legalism from our freedom. And then in verses 12 through 17, 
um, when we start trying to do this thing out, loving well and walking by doing the next right thing, it'll keep us from turning to the things that we used to turn to to find life. And when he's talking about the world there, don't love the world or the things in the world, he's not talking about people. He's talking about the world system. He's talking about the culture. Remember, he loves people. Uh, he, he's saying, John's saying, look, don't get caught up in the way things are moving around you. And uh, 1 John 2, 16 and 17 in the NIV said, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I like the same verses in the, in the King James. Um, so I'm going to read them to you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I like, I like the King James Version of that because I think that it's easier to remember those three things. See, those are, the, those are the distractions. Those are the tricks that the enemy uses over and over and over and over again and always has in there extremely effective. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you can, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are, those are the enemy's favorite tactics, and he uses them successfully repeatedly. And, and so you think, well, doesn't he change tactics? Not very much. He uses those things and gets us in, in it's work. it worked in, with Adam and Eve. It didn't work with Jesus, praise God, so it doesn't have to work with us, but we allow it to work with us all the time. So that's the, the thing. See, in, in Jesus now, this stuff doesn't have to work. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of sin. It doesn't have to work in us. When it does, it's because we're allowing it to move in that direction. It doesn't have to. But, you know, you think, so the lust of the flesh... So the enemy uses the lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the flesh? Well, he went to Adam and Eve, and, and uh, they, they were dealing with the fruit, whatever it was. Um, you know, people think, most people think it's an, it, we always think it's an apple, but it probably wasn't an apple, but regardless, whatever you think it was, whatever it was, the lust of the flesh was, hey, that's, that'd be good for food, right? Even though you were told not to eat it, here you go, it looks like it's, you know, that, that's the lust of the flesh, it'd be good for food. That would, ooh, eating that, I'm gonna, it's going to be good for my flesh. With Jesus, the enemy tried it with him. You know, we'll turn these stones to bread. He hadn't eaten for a long time. You can do it. Turn the stones to bread. You know, you're hungry. Just go ahead. You can make that happen. For us, you know, it's more of a, the, the culture is, you know, if it feels good, do it. You know, you, you should feel good. You should be happy. God wants you to be happy. Don't worry about the, you know, the, the, the way he's uh, told us to live. Do whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. That's the lust of the flesh. Gets us in trouble. The lust of the eyes. With Adam and Eve, the fruit was beautiful to look at. Beautiful. Oh, it was beautiful. I love, you, you can just see the enemy. Look how, look how pretty. Like I always like a, like you know how a model does it. Listen, you know, today's grand prize chosen just for you. Shiny. Look. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but I did. <laughs> With the enemy, he tried to get Jesus. You know, he said, all this I will give you. Look, just look here. You, you can take a shortcut. I will give you all of this. And for us, it's, well, we need it, we deserve it, and life will not be complete without it. And there's billions of dollars spent in that whole process of trying to get you seeing something that you think, oh, no, I can't have life without that. And it's, boy, that's a, that's a big trap. I, I think about it. I was thinking about earlier. I know I tell, I tell the same old story all the time. You'd think it would have taught me, but um, 1972, that's a long time ago, right? I was 12. And they came out with the Pong video game. Did you guys, some of you are my age. Do you remember when you could play the Pong on the, it was a big deal, the video games, and Pong was just two knobs that raised a bar up on either side, 
and this random thing went bleep, bloop, and you hit it, so it didn't go in your goal, and went bleep, bleep, bloop. And that was the game, man. It was like, because you didn't have, it was fascinating. There was no video games. And you could buy the console for 200 bucks. 1972, 200 bucks to a 12-year-old was a lot of money. I worked cutting grass. I used to get three bucks for doing a lawn. And big, I mean, that'd be working. I babysat 50 cents an hour. Can you, babysitters make like 20 bucks an hour now. It's crazy. But 50, 50 cents an hour. I saved up 200 bucks. Bought that Pong, 1972. Hooked it up to my TV. I played it for 30 minutes. And I was like, this game stinks. <laughs> it's all it is. It's bloop, bloop. I should have played it. And then if I had spent another 10 quarters on the thing, I would have been good. And you thought, oh, that should be a lesson to teach you your whole life. It didn't. But I was like, I can't believe this stinks. But I, man, I had to have it. Had to have it. I wish I'd have kept it. It'd be worth probably 200 bucks again. <laughs> but I didn't. But, but that, that, you know, I had to see that sometimes we start getting, I have to have it. That's the, that's the whole lust of the eyes. Man, in the pride of life, with Adam and Eve, you know, the enemy sold it, just, you know, got the deal settled with you'll be like God. And that, but with Jesus, you know, it was like, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. It didn't work on Jesus. And with us, you know, it's always, oh, I did it my way. That's the cultural trap now. I, I did it my way. And gets us all the time. Those three tricks. And John is saying, look, don't fall for that. Live by trying to do the next right thing. Love well and, and let the Spirit of God continually change you so that you, you don't follow the ways that you used to follow. Then in, in verses 18 through 26, uh, again, false teachers, um, he, John calls them antichrist, and, you know, they're very divisive. They twist and bend the truth of the Bible to make it fit the message they want to spread, ultimately to result in their own gain. That's that's one of the bottom line issues that you can see with that. There, there's something in it that they're trying to do for their own gain. And it, it, they twist uh, and put little twists on it. But he says this, too. Um, it's very cool in 27. Verse 27. Um, see, because when the Holy Spirit's in us, we have the ability to discern false teachers. As for you, he says, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. See, so the Holy Spirit lives in us. We've talked about that. And as believers, he'll help us to know the truth. John 16, 13 says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit is in us to help us know truth. And that's what John is referring to in that verse. The anointing received remains in you. The Holy Spirit remains in us, and he will always help us if we'll look to him in knowing the truth. So we just need to be open to him and what he's doing, and be careful we don't get you know, taken in by people that, that may look good and sound good, but ultimately are not teaching what should be taught in the way that we live. So that's the second chapter of 1 John. That's enough for um, today. And um, we'll hit chapter 3 next week, but we'll wind it down there. If you're watching my video on TV, thank you for spending time with us. Know how valuable your time is. If you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com. There's a prayer page there, and we'd be happy to pray for you, but we'll see you again soon.